On today's episode of Vitality Radio, I'm going to tackle a topic that has been a long time coming and that I've had, frankly, quite a bit of demand for of late. And while I don't consider myself an expert in this space, I certainly have done my research in an attempt to unravel the mysteries of bone loss in America, also known as osteopenia or osteoporosis. In many ways, it really is a mystery, and it seems to especially be a mystery to the medical community. And yet there is plenty of research that they seem to just not be looking at. So I'm going to look at it today with you. Here's a couple of facts first before we jump in. In fact, the first one I think is a fact that most people simply aren't familiar with. One in three adults aged 50 and over, dies within 12 months of suffering a hip fracture. Older adults have five to eight times higher risk of dying within the first three months of a hip fracture compared to those without a hip fracture. This increased risk of death remains for almost 10 years. So we're not just talking about, you know, the the hunch in the back, Uh, As we age, uh, bone loss that can actually shrink us and some of the other things that we think about with osteoporosis, we're talking about a very significant increase in risk of death. And unfortunately, without getting too morbid, the types of death that people experience post-hip fracture are not happy ones. In fact, hip fracture even seems to increase the risk of dementia, believe it or not. Uh, as well as cardiovascular disease and a variety of other things. So this isn't something that is as, um, I mean, it's a bigger deal than maybe a lot of people are thinking that it is. I do know that at Vitality Nutrition, many people come in very concerned after a bone scan, trying to figure out, okay, what are my options? So on today's show, I'm going to talk all about osteoporosis. It will be the entire episode. And if you feel like you are at risk or you already know you're at risk, if you have a loved one who is at risk, then this is something that you'll absolutely want to hear and potentially share uh, with those people in your life that you're concerned about. Let's talk a little bit about what happens with osteoporosis as a diagnosis in America. If you go to your doctor after you've been diagnosed with osteopenia, which is basically pre-osteoporosis, or with a diagnosis of actual osteoporosis, then he or she will likely recommend calcium, about 1,000 to 1,200 milligrams a day. But did you know that in America, we have one of, if not the highest rates of osteoporosis in the world, yet we also have one of the highest rates of calcium consumption in the world. So clearly, calcium alone is not the, the solution we're looking for. So then, what is going on here? Why are so many of us, especially women, at risk of osteoporosis? Why does it matter, and how can you prevent it or even reverse it? Or is that even possible? Your doctor may also prescribe a drug called a bisphosphonate, but do those work and what are the risks? You may have seen commercials saying you can sue such and such drug company if you've had this happen and there are a lot of lawsuits happening regarding specifically bisphosphonate. So on today's episode of Vitality Radio, I will discuss in as precise a detail as I can, the most obvious causes of bone loss, the pros and cons of calcium supplementation, and pharmaceutical interventions. 
I will also lay out a detailed plan that includes lifestyle, dietary, and supplemental options for maintaining, building, and even rebuilding healthy bones to prevent hip fracture among all of the other issues associated with osteoporosis. That's what's next on today's episode of Vitality Radio. Welcome to the show. I'm Jared St. Clair. I have absolutely loved some of this uh, some of these new topics that I've been tackling in greater detail. One of the reasons that uh, these shows I think are getting, well, at least I hope, and you'll have to let me know, uh, more detailed and more um, helpful as we go is I'm getting way more feedback than I ever used to, uh, thanks to Instagram and especially my Facebook page for Vitality Radio listeners. So if you want to be kind of a co-producer of the show and give me content ideas and ask detailed questions, that is the best place to do it. The link to join the Facebook community is in the description of the show on your podcast app. If you're listening on the radio, welcome to Vitality Radio as well. I love that you're still listening. I've been on radio for 14 years. Um, And if you have not joined us on the podcast yet, please do. There's two episodes a week instead of one. Uh, We do some really interesting and sometimes more controversial stuff on the podcast-only episodes, and you uh, have access to just a bunch more information, and uh, I think you'll really, really enjoy it. Okay, let's jump into osteoporosis. Oh, before I get into that, remember that if you have questions about anything you've heard on Vitality Radio, call us at 801 292-6662. That's 801-292-6662. That's Vitality Nutrition in Bountiful. And if you're not near Bountiful or if it's simply more convenient to jump online, vitalitynutrition.com, where you can also ask questions directly through our text app. We are still a small, independent family business, and when you text us, typically you'll hear back very quickly, and it's usually either me or my son, Bridger, answering those questions at vitalitynutrition.com. Okay, let's jump into osteoporosis by first talking about what are the leading causes? What are the things that are happening that are creating bone loss in America, and what can you do to prevent it? We'll uh, talk about that as we start. The first one for me, and uh, perhaps your doctor, this is one where we probably agree, is a lack of movement, a sedentary lifestyle. Sedentary bones, bones that aren't meant to work or made to work, I should say, don't rebuild themselves well. I'll go into that in more detail in the next section, but that's number one. Number two, there are some very commonly prescribed drugs that cause bone loss. Now, a lot of people do not know this. And in fact, there are even consumer advocacy groups that are fighting with FDA to get strong warnings, even black box warnings on certain drugs, including PPIs, drugs like Nexium and uh, Prilosec and things like that, uh, because the increased risk of osteoporosis, the increased risk of hip fracture specifically after long-term use of these drugs is dramatic. So we do know that there are some drug issues. I've tackled the PPI thing a few times on Vitality Radio, but there are some other things you may not be thinking of. So let's talk about them. The first one is actually PPIs, like I said. And the reason for that is actually pretty simple. PPIs reduce stomach acid. 
but they reduce stomach acid in some people so dramatically, which is known as hydrochloric acid, that there is not enough stomach acid to actually absorb minerals anymore. Mineral absorption, mineral digestion at the stomach level requires a significant amount of acid. Now, I'm going to talk a little bit about chemistry as we go through this episode today, and uh, not in a way that's going to bore you to tears, I hope, but uh, we know when an acid meets a base that there is a reaction, a chemical reaction, and that is necessary because calcium is a base, magnesium is a base, zinc, all of these minerals are base elements, and they require acid for the body to actually be able to utilize them and break them down, and PPIs basically reduce that. One of the long-term primary concerns of long-term PPI use is hip fracture. Did you also know that PPIs, uh, these are acid reflux drugs, okay? PPIs are not only uh, being advocated by consumer groups to uh, for black box warnings, but they were never designed for long-term use, ever. FDA hasn't approved any of them that I'm aware of for longer than 12 weeks, and yet many people here in America have been on them for years, even decades. The next category of drugs that you may want to consider are SSRIs. Now, I've talked about SSRIs. Those are going to be antidepressants, uh, Prozac, Zoloft, and so so on. Uh, I talk a lot about them as uh, the, the for the potential of placebo effects and for the potential of um, homicidal and suicidal ideations and a variety of other things. They are potentially very dangerous drugs. But one thing that I have never actually thought about until I started researching this is that they also are a big problem when it comes to bone health. Despite uh, what medical doctors and, and uh, uh, psychiatrists and, of course, drug companies uh, would consider favorable side effect profiles, I would actually... <laughs> I would actually disagree with that. I think the side effects of these drugs are not favorable. Um, but uh, there was a, uh, a group that did a, an examination of 19 studies and an additional meta-analysis that indicated that these unique antidepressants appear to have negative effects on bone, particularly with regard to bone mineral density and the risk of fractures. These risks may be enhanced by more uh, serotonin serotonergenic, because remember SSRI, selective serotonin reuptake inhibitor, that's what they do. Uh, they, they may be enhanced by these agents. And why is that? Well, the magnitude of this relationship is difficult to determine due to the myriad of potential compounds in available studies. But all studies up to this point indic indicate increased risk of bone loss with SSRIs. In additional support of these findings, serotonin receptors have been identified as, or sorry, on osteoclasts, osteoblasts, and osteocyte cell lines, suggesting that serotonin may be an important regulatory agent in bone. Now, this is my hypothesis, and I do not know if I'm correct, but what they're basically saying here is that the three primary uh, areas of the body, the three primary processes, the osteoclasts, osteoblasts, and osteocytes that keep bones healthy, that restore bone health, and so on, uh, that serotonin, it plays a role in all three of those areas. And serotonin reuptake inhibitors 
SSRIs actually keep serotonin cycling in the brain. To me, that would indicate that maybe there's not enough serotonin being left in the bones to actually enhance bone health. While no formal recommendations, they continue, regarding the use of serotonin uh, reuptake inhibitors in risk populations are available, caution is advised in individuals with potential risk, i.e. people with osteopenia, osteoporosis, or osteoporotic fractures. The last drug I want to talk about, and there aren't just these three, but these three do seem to be the biggest uh, potential uh, exacerbating factors or causes of osteoporosis, would be steroids, uh, what are called corticosteroids, such as prednisone. According to Cedars-Sinai, many people with joint or muscle pain, breathing or intestinal ailments use corticosteroids. And the two most common would be prednisone or methylprednisone. However, long-term use of these drugs can cause osteoporosis and fractures. Now, this is an important thing that they're saying here because with SSRIs, there is enhanced risk, but we don't really quite understand it, and it's not as well-documented yet as it is with steroids. But when they say at Cedars-Sinai specifically that these drugs can actually cause osteoporosis, cause is a strong word. It's not a factor in, but could actually be a root cause. So I want you to pay attention to that. That's important if you're on one of these medications. Because this type of osteoporosis can start quickly after a patient begins taking the drugs, it is better to measure bone density levels and monitor them regularly than wait until the patient starts having frequent fractures. That's what they suggest at Cedars-Sinai. The body's ability to produce strong, dense bones is a juggling act between natural processes that build up bone and ones that break it down. Corticosteroids tend to both reduce the body's ability to absorb calcium and increase how fast bone is broken down. The more of these drugs you take and the longer you take them, the greater your risk of developing osteoporosis. Some asthma treatments are also corticosteroids. Now think about this for a minute. What if you are on an SSRI and you've been on it for a long time? five years, 10 years, 20 years, and a PPI because you've now developed acid reflux. And maybe you've been on that for years at a time as well. Well, just those two alone, which of course there's no study that I'm aware of anyway, where they've studied bone health in people that are on both of those drugs, the risk is increased potentially dramatically. So we always, I think, and, and, and this is something I want to bring up and this isn't just about osteoporosis. This is about everything when it comes to pharmaceutical medications. As a general rule, medications are studied for six months to a year. Uh, in a specific, Now, they may study the medication for 10 years, but in individual studies with individual groups of people, double-blind, placebo-controlled studies, they tend to run six months to a year max uh, on a given group. And yet, we are finding more and more often that drugs are not necessarily rife with side effects in the first six months or the first year, sometimes not even the first few years. But let's just say, for instance, that you've been on an SSRI or a PPI or perhaps both, and all of a sudden, five years later, 10 years down the later, which down the year, <laughs> sorry, down the road, which would not be all of a sudden, right? So I use the wrong terminology there. Scratch that. But five years later, 10 years later, you've got osteoporosis or osteopenia. Would you 
immediately connect the dots and say, well, my osteoporosis came because of the PPI drug or the SSRI. Well, the answer is no, you wouldn't. That requires what they call long-term observational studies. And those studies are done on wide, generally very large groups of people over a decade in many cases or longer. And they would, enhance, they would show that there's enhanced risk. But do you know that you happen to be one of those people that those drugs were actually potentially the root cause of your osteoporosis? You don't. So when you accept a prescription from your medical doctor, as the patient, it, it's really a buyer beware scenario. It's not different than buying a car or a dishwasher or a refrigerator, except that it is directly related to your health and well-being. So I highly encourage you to take a look at the short-term, but also the long-term risk factors, because let's just say you're on an SSRI and you believe that that drug is helping you. And I would uh, point you towards my episodes on SSRIs uh, to potentially enlighten you on, on that topic. But let's say you've been on it. You feel like it's helping. You've been on it for a couple of years, and you're not aware that SSRIs are a potential hazard when it comes to your bone health. And you get osteoporosis. You likely would continue on the SSRI thinking that's unrelated when perhaps it may be very, very much related. And... You just simply don't have the information that you need. But if you go on the SSRI after studying and deciding, you know, weighing out risks versus benefits between yourself and your doctor, and you look at that and you say, well, you know what? I know that there's an increased risk of osteoporosis. And so I'm going to keep an eye on things. I will monitor my bone health. I will do things proactively to prevent bone loss, knowing that I have made the decision to take a drug that may potentially create a higher risk for bone loss. At least in that case, you know what you're up against. You are an informed consumer and you're able to do a better job with it. Blindly accepting a prescription just because your doctor believes it's the best route for you to take where he may be aware of the risks and you're not, is, in my view, a very uh, poor decision on anybody's part. And I will also say this. Doctors don't get a lot of pharmacology. Pharmacists get a lot more. So another thing you may want to do once you get the prescription is go talk to your pharmacist and say, hey, what do you think about the risks versus benefits on this? What would you suggest that I do differently if I decide to take this medicine. Okay, so you've got all three of those drugs that may actually be causes or at least exacerbating factors uh, in osteoporosis. That, I believe, is very important. So what if you get your uh, diagnosis? You've got osteopenia or you've got osteoporosis. Again, osteopenia being basically, think of it like prediabetes for diabetes. You're on the road to osteoporosis, but it's not necessarily considered osteoporosis just yet. And you go into your doctor, well, he is likely to prescribe a couple of things. As I mentioned at the very beginning, a bisphosphonate drug would be his prescription, and he may recommend a calcium supplement. If he recommends a calcium supplement, it's usually going to be 1,000 to 1,200 milligrams. And if he's a little ahead of the curve, uh, he may even rec recommend vitamin D. So let's look at the evidence of how effective that line of uh, recommendations actually may be. And we'll also look at the potential side effects associated with those recommendations. 
What does a patient need to consider before getting on what are called bisphosphonates for the prevention of further bone loss in women? Well, first off, I'll tell you the one that's the most well-known is called Fosamax, but there's about seven or eight of those drugs on the market now, and they all fall into that family of bisphosphonates. So if you're getting that recommendation, if you've already had that recommendation, see if what you're on is a bisphosphonate or what you've been recommended and it will it should apply pretty directly to what I'm about to tell you. According to mayoclinic.com. Now, also notice this. I'm pulling all of this information 100% of this information regarding these pharmaceuticals from companies, websites uh, such as Mayo Clinic, Cedar Sinai, uh, CDC uh, in some cases in this episode because I want to give you the medical uh, I mean, I'm not going to use the word perspective because I don't think it's the perspective that most doctors have, but the medical facts from the medical establishment as opposed to opinions that I have uh, as a you know, natural wellness guy, I'm giving it to you from the horse's mouth, so to speak. Okay, so mayoclinic.com. Certain types of osteoporosis drugs have been associated with an increased risk of two rare but serious problems. Now, <clears throat> I want you to remember that word rare. It's used a lot. I don't even know what that means. I don't. Nobody knows what that means. There is not that I'm aware of a medical definition of rare. Is that you know one in a million? Is it one in a hundred? One in a thousand? I don't know. But they say these are rare but serious problems. One is called osteonecrosis of the jaw, and as is an oh oh sorry. And the second one is an unusual type of fracture in the upper thigh bone, otherwise known as the femur. Osteonecrosis of the, of the jaw may develop with a minor injury, such as getting a tooth pulled, and shows up as a delay in healing. An impending atypical femoral fracture, that's going to be your, your, uh, your femur fracture in the hip, can cause pain in the thigh or groin that begins subtly and gradually worsens. It sometimes develops in both legs at once. If untreated, a complete fracture of the femur requiring surgery can occur even with normal weight-bearing. Now, I want to mention that specifically, normal weight-bearing, because these fractures literally happen with people walking, with people getting up out of a chair, with people coming to a stop on a city bus with people pushing the brake in their car. These aren't fractures that are happening with people playing rugby, all right, or <laughs> jumping off of a, a rooftop. These are fractures that happen from everyday, normal weight-bearing of just human weight. Now, again, they're considered rare, but that's kind of scary to me. Fosamax may cause inflammation, an irritation, this is the bisphosphonate drug, of the esophagus, which may result in serious damage, including development of bleeding esophageal ulcers. I want to stop for just a minute. The primary concern that I'm aware of talking to GI doctors, I've discussed this with a couple of them, is esophageal cancer eventually. Esophageal erosion from acid reflux and then esophageal cancer, and that's why they would put you on a PPI acid reflux medication to lower the acid levels. So that's their primary concern. So if you're on a PPI that could potentially be the root cause of your bone loss and then you are prescribed a bisphosphonate drug, 
Well, that bisphosphonate drug, again, this is according to Mayo Clinic, not according to me, may cause inflammation and irritation of the esophagus, which may result in serious damage, including development of bleeding esophageal ulcers. You can see where that's a kind of a vicious cycle scenario, right? Someone with already acid reflux issues, then piling something on that may cause the issue that the PPI is designed to prevent, but the PPI may have caused the issue of osteoporosis in the first place that then got the recommendation for the bisphosphonate. Kind of a funny little circle there. In several cases, or sorry, in severe cases, Phosphamax, uh, Phosamax, sorry, side effects include esophageal erosion and perforation of the esophagus. Merck, the manufacturer of Phosamax, recommends that users take Phosamax with a large glass of water. Users should also stand or sit upright for at least 30 minutes after Phosamax treatment to avoid esophageal Phosamax side effects. Bisphosphonates such as Phosamax or Benosto or Actinel or Atelvia or Boniva or Reclast or Zomita and even Prolia or Exgeva, I don't know how that's pronounced, X-G-E-V-A, have been linked to osteonecrosis of the jaw and atypical femoral fractures. The risk appears to increase with the length of time the drugs are taken. So let's look at some specifics regarding Fosamax made by Merck, which is the most well-known of these drugs. What do the experts think might be causing these side effects, and how rare are they? First, the theories of Fosamax femur fracture, because they really don't know, but here they are. The exact explanation of the incidence of Fosamax femur fractures is currently unknown. However, it is believed that Fosamax alters the natural process of bone remodeling in the body. Well, we know that. Fosamax may harden the bone's outer layer, but as a result, the interior cells are prevented from being routinely replaced and during the bone remodeling, or sorry, during the bone remodeling process. When small fractures occur, occur, I'm not speaking well today, they accumulate and contribute to severe Fosamax femur fractures. So that's one uh, possible cause. Another one would be some experts actually theorizing that while preventing bone loss, Fosamax may cause a condition referred to as a frozen bone. Frozen bone essentially shuts down the body's remodeling process of bone breakdown and regeneration. In theory, frozen bone can contribute to the clean fractures that many Fosamax patients experience. Now, many is not the same as rare. All of this came from Mayo Clinic, so I'm not exactly sure what rare means still. But to further illustrate the dangers, let's look at this. Plaintiffs who filed plaintiffs who filed lawsuits against Merck for its osteoporosis drug Fosamax claimed that the drug caused osteonecrosis of the jaw and femur fractures. Allegations against the drug company include failure to warn and and manufacturing a drug that is defective. Merck settled about 1,200 of these cases for almost $28 million. Now, let's just quickly talk about if the drugs actually work, meaning is the risk worth the benefit? Because you're not definitely going to have a hip fracture because of Fosamax. In fact, there are some indications that you are at a lower risk. That's why they the drug's out there of a hip fracture. Isn't it funny that one of the side effects is hip fracture, but the reason we're doing the drug is to prevent hip fracture. Interesting. Well, here we go. People that are uh, 60 years old, women, 60 years old, 
with osteoporosis and a T-score of minus 2.5 with no other risk factors. If they take Fosamax for 10 years, it'll prevent a broken bone in about three of the 100 women who have that risk factor of the T-score of minus 2.5. So three out of 100 will receive extra benefit. Um, if you have higher risk, you have that T-score of minus 5 and you have three other risk factors, then... Eight out of 100 women will be benefited, prevent a hip fracture. And if you have five other risk factors, along with that minus 2.5 T-score, then 16 out of 100 women. So if you're at very high risk for osteoporosis, then 16 out of 100 women who take this will have a reduced risk because of the drug over a 10-year period. I don't know if you think that sounds good or bad, but, you know, the first one was 3 out of 100, the second one was 8 out of 100, and then 16 out of 100. So they do help, but they don't help most people, at least according to these studies. So the next question for me is, okay, so now that I know the risks and the potential benefits, is there a less risky alternative? Now, if you've listened to me ever you'll know that that's actually not the next question. That's the first question that always comes to mind. If, if I am faced with a health challenge, and I really don't care if it's a, you know, well, I haven't had this, but if it's osteoporosis or it's heart disease or it's diabetes or it's, you know, excessive weight gain or whatever, a sinus infection, urinary tract infection, name the thing that you might consider going to your doctor for. The first question I always have is, is there a natural thing I can do so I don't have to go on a pharmaceutical that has this list of potential side effects? So that's always question number one for me, and I, I guess that's my opinion. You can decide if that should be question number one for you. But we're doing it in a little bit reverse order here. Now we've looked at the risks and benefits of Fosamax. What are the natural options? I would think for most of us, the first thing that would come to mind with bone health is calcium, right? It's what we've been taught for years and years and years and years. Uh, well, yeah, that might be the first thing that comes to mind, but I'm not convinced that it's the first thing you could, should consider. But calcium does play a role. Let's talk about it, though, because with calcium, unfortunately, there are also risks. In a meta-analysis where they took 13 studies and combined them all together, and they looked at almost a total of 50,000 people, about 45,000 people, uh, 28,000, 29,000 of which were uh, taking calcium and about 15,000 of which were in a control group taking a placebo. The current meta-analysis found that calcium supplements increased the risk of cardiovascular disease by about 15% in otherwise healthy postmenopausal women. 15% increase, that's not small. Now, to me, that's ridiculous, considering that calcium is natural and not synthetic, and I am always, always a proponent of natural options, so I don't like when natural options increase my risk of heart disease, of all things. But what does natural even mean? Well, with calcium, it's mind. Almost all supplemental calcium is mined, the same way as gold or silver would be mined. So it is essentially a rock. If your calcium supplement says, sorry, supplement says calcium carbonate or calcium phosphate or tricalcium phosphate, dicalcium phosphate, something like that, that's what you've got in that 
tablet or capsule of yours, powdered rocks. Natural, but not organic food. This is referred to as what's called an inorganic mineral, meaning it came from a rock instead of from a food source. Your body quite literally doesn't know what the heck to do with it. Okay, okay, so there is increased risk of heart disease, but does it protect you from breaking your bones? Because again, it's all risk versus benefit analysis here, and there are certain risks associated with almost everything in life. Every time you get in your car, you're taking a risk, right? And an increase of 15% isn't massive, but it's certainly worth considering. But let's just say that you have an increased risk of heart disease of 15% and you have an increased benefit reduction in risk of osteoporosis of, say, 50% with calcium. Then might it be worth the risk? Well, according to a recent meta-analysis published in the CDC's own PubMed, calcium with or without vitamin D is not effective for the prevention of vertebral fractures, non-vertebral, I'm going to say vertebral fractures, or hip fractures. I'm going to read that again. According to PubMed, according to a meta-analysis of multiple studies published on the CDC's own website, calcium with or without vitamin D is not effective for the prevention of vertebral fractures, non-vertebral fractures, or hip fractures. Therefore, the rationale for continuing to use calcium supplements for osteoporosis, according to the study authors, is under question, and this questioning becomes even more acute when the possible side effects of calcium supplements are considered, such as heart disease. But our bones need calcium. We know that much. So what's the deal? So there are some issues here. Perhaps as much as 75% or more of calcium supplements that these women studied have been taking are the really bad versions like the ones I mentioned above. Also, I estimate that half or less of that calcium is actually be taking, is being taken with vitamin D. Even less is being taken with magnesium because we just know what the numbers are. Calcium is the number three, I believe, most common supplement used in America after multivitamins and omega-3s. And magnesium and vitamin D, well, vitamin D actually is next, and then magnesium is a distant, distant, uh, I don't even know what number it is, but I don't even think it's in the top 10 of the recent things I, I saw. And then almost none of that calcium has been taken with vitamin K2. It would be fascinating to see how these women who were studied would do if they were taking K2 and D3 and magnesium along with their calcium, but that's not what these studies show because that's not what most women are doing. The clinical evidence of what I'm about to share as my opinions, and I want that clear because now I just shifted from Mayo Clinic and Cedars-Sinai and CDC to my personal opinions. And the evidence of what I'm about to share as my opinions, because I'm not your doctor, is in some cases very, very strong. But in other cases, frankly, it's pretty limited. But what I am confident in is that the recommendations I'm about to make have nearly zero side effects, if any at all. And the benefits almost have to be better than the zero benefit that calcium supplements deliver and the marginal benefits that bisphosphonates deliver. The most obvious beneficial option is weight-bearing exercise. So let's start there. There is ample evidence of two things. We know without a doubt that the body responds to its physiological stressors. 
For instance, if you run, your body will spend its resources building and strengthening your cardiovascular system so you can run better the next time and your leg muscles. If you lift weights, you'll build more muscle and your body produces more testosterone, among other things, to assist in that process. When it comes to exercise, I think many of us fixate on muscle building or cardiovascular health or body composition. That's probably the biggest one most of us are looking at weight loss with exercise. What seems to fall through the cracks, though, in terms of our perception, or at least our focus, is a substantial benefit to exercise when it comes to building our bones. Weight-bearing exercise in particular is extremely beneficial in the prevention of bone loss. What do the set studies say about this? Now again, back to medical. According to Harvard Medical, as with loss of muscle mass, bone strength starts to decline earlier than you might imagine, slipping at an average rate of 1% per year after the age of 40. Think about that, 1% per year. So if you turn 40, which I did 10 years ago, at least in theory, I may be, have 10% as much bone density as I did when I was 40, now that I'm 50. Over 10 million Americans have osteoporosis, which is defined by weak and porous bones, but another 43 million of us are at risk. So that's over 50 million of us at risk or already in osteoporosis. Numerous studies have shown that weight-bearing exercise can help to slow bone loss, and several show it can even build bone. Activities that put stress on bones stimulate extra deposits of calcium and nudge bone-forming cells into action. The tugging and pushing on bone that occur during strength and power training provide the stress that tells the body, hey, we got to toughen up here, and that result is stronger, more dense bones. Even weight-bearing aerobic exercise, like walking or running, can help with bones, but there are a couple of caveats to that. Generally, higher impact activities have a more profound effect on bone than lower impact aerobics. Velocity is also a factor. Jogging or fast-paced aerobics will do more to strengthen bone than just leisurely movement. And keep in mind that only those bones that bear the load of the exercise will benefit. For example, walking or running protects only the bones in your lower body, but that does include your hips. And hip fracture, at least in my view, is probably the single biggest risk factor of osteoporosis based on the research I've done. So at least... Getting up, running, jogging, uh, doing whole body vibration uh, has shown some very, very good benefits. Uh, those types of things, squats, lunges, those types of things that will build the leg muscles will also build the leg bones. We also know that sarcopenia, which is closely related to osteoporosis, is a factor. Sarcopenia is basically the same as osteoporosis, but occurs in the muscle tissue. The musculoskeletal system is indeed a system, and it works together both weaken or stay strong as a team. Therefore, exercise being critical for both muscle and bone integrity must be considered the first line of defense. Again, that is in my opinion. But what about diet? Well, first we want to reduce risk factors. What do we know uh, about how impactful the calcium in our diets is when combined with calcium as a supplement? I highly recommend you do something with your diet that I can see no negative whatsoever to making this shift other than it's not necessarily an easy shift to make. Look at the calcium levels in your supplement or in your food. Now I'm not talking about uh, calcium that is naturally occurring in your 
leafy vegetables or in your nuts or seeds. I'm not talking about calcium that's naturally occurring in dairy product, you know, yogurt, milk, things like that. That's a different story. I'm talking about added calcium. Calcium carbonate almost always being the one that is added to our foods. It's added to enriched flours. It's added to enriched rice. It's added to uh, pasta, breads. It's even added to your milk substitutes. So if you're on a milk substitute, almond milk, rice milk, oat milk, find one. They're not necessarily easy to find, but they are out there that does not have calcium added to it. Those calciums are the same calciums that we found in supplements increase the risk of heart disease by, depending on the study, anywhere from 15 to 30 percent. Okay, so do your research. Look at the nutrition facts panel and see if there is a bunch of calcium in there. If there's a bunch of calcium in there, like two, 300 milligrams in many cases, sometimes 400, 450 milligrams I've seen in some things, then go down to the ingredients list and see if you see calcium carbonate or calcium phosphate on the ingredients list. If you do, I believe personally that is bad for all of us, all of us. So that's Step number one with your diet. Also, remember the list of drugs that you may be on. SSRIs, PPIs, corticosteroids. Figure out alternatives if you can. If you have questions about that, we're happy to answer questions. And you certainly could talk to your doctor or pharmacist about that as well. If you'd like to talk to me and ask questions about any of this stuff, again, you can call me at Vitality, 801-292-6662. Or hit me up on Facebook or Instagram, at Jared Saint is the Instagram handle. I'd be more than happy to talk to you or just join the Vitality Radio listeners community at the uh, in the description of this podcast. Now let's address supplements specifically. This is more my wheelhouse, my specialty. I've done a lot of time, spent a ton of time researching this topic. I want to give that to you over the next 12 minutes or so. If you are going to supplement with calcium, I recommend either calcium from algae or calcium hydroxyapatite. Currently my favorite, and it is because it has the most clinical, proven human research is calcium from microcrystalline hydroxyapatite. This is the exact form of calcium found in your human bones and teeth. It comes from bone meal from cows or a bovine source. Because it is already in an organic form in the bones of a cow, it, mu it is much more readily available to be absorbed in humans as food. Now, if you are a vegetarian or a vegan, um, we may agree or disagree on whether or not that's the optimal health approach for most people. But if you are, then the, the other one, and what I would consider to be the next best thing, would be calcium from algae, which, of course, is not coming from an animal source and has some very, very good research on it as well. Ingestion of microcrystalline hydroxyapatite, according to the studies, produces less of an acute spike in blood calcium levels compared to soluble calcium salts such as calcium citrate or calcium carbonate, typically used in standard supplements, and thus may be less risky to increase vascular calcification and coronary risk. Hydroxyapatite also stimulates bone osteoblast cells and contains virtually all of the essential building blocks needed to construct bone tissue. So it isn't just giving you calcium, that's a big deal. In a small, placebo-controlled, randomized trial, women who took 1,000 milligrams of calcium in the form of hydroxyapatite in conjunction with oral vitamin D showed a significant increase in bone thickness, whereas those who took 1,000 milligrams of standard calcium carbonate supplements did not. Remember, we know calcium carbonate simply doesn't build bone and it doesn't prevent hip fracture, and yet I can't tell you how maddening it is for my clients at Vitality Nutrition to continue to come in with a doctor's note 
or recommendation to get on that type of calcium. I did a big rant on Facebook the other day that got a lot of attention actually saying, please don't buy this stuff. And it was the calcium carbonate that is the number one selling calcium at Costco. I think it's dangerous. Not only is it not helpful, but it is dangerous. And the problem is if you're going to do something dangerous with your diet, then do something that's at least enjoyable. Who wants to swallow horse pills that don't work and cause heart disease, right? Eat Fruit Loops if you're going to do something dangerous, right? Drink a Mountain Dew, have some pizza, but don't take a horse pill made out of chalk that isn't going to build your bones and could potentially cause a heart attack or stroke. Don't do that. So hydroxyapatite in the studies that have been done, multiple different studies, that was just one I was mentioning, has actually shown to increase bone thickness and density, and we know that it actually works. And it makes sense because it is the exact type of calcium found in our own bones and teeth. Now, most studies, including those on hydroxyapatite, have used 1,000 milligrams. I personally think that is still too much. Most of us are getting a decent amount of calcium in America in our food, especially if we drink dairy. But you have to be careful there, too. You can't just say, well, I'm drinking milk, so I'm going to have healthy bones, like the Dairy Council would like you to believe. Studies indicate, though, that one 8-ounce glass of milk a day improves bone health and reduces fracture risk. But three glasses decrease bone health and increase fracture risk. Isn't that wild? So it's a balancing act. Now, I believe, and this is a little side note, that pasteurized versus raw milk is probably the big difference there. The studies are never done on raw milk. I believe that most of the downsides of milk come from not the milk itself, but from the mass-produced hormone and antibiotic-laden pasteurized milk that most Americans consume. Raw milk comes from small farms that cannot use antibiotics in cows that are being milked because it isn't pasteurized. That will taint the milk, whereas the up to 25% of the herd can be have an active infection in their actual teats where the milk is coming from. Up to 25% can have an active infection and being treated by an antibiotic as they are being milked, whereas that cannot happen on a raw milk farm. In most cases, these farms do not use hormones and run a much cleaner operation because they have to. So if you're going to drink your milk, find it raw. If you're going to drink milk alternatives, make sure that they don't have calcium added. And if you're going to drink pasteurized milk, buy organic only and limit it to about one cup per day. All right. The other supplements that matter most besides calcium are magnesium, which I pound the drum for daily and just did a huge show on three days ago, all about magnesium, how to use it, why to use it, what forms, all the stuff. So go back there and listen to that one. So I'm not going to go into detail on magnesium at all because you can hear it all there. But I will tell you that my favorite form of magnesium for bone health is magnesium glycinate and at about 400 milligrams a day. My brand, which I am completely biased on, but that I do love, is of course my, fi my favorite and it is called Vital 5 Magnesium. And it is my favorite because I truly believe that it is the best form of magnesium available in a supplement. Also, vitamin D3 is critical. In winter, it's different than in summer. Most people, I feel, will benefit from supplementing vitamin D in the winter, especially if you're getting very limited sun exposure. If you live in an area like Utah, where I live, uh, where it is cold and dark uh, and you're not getting much sun because you're bundled up. If you live in Florida, it's a little different story. Go get sun. That's where vitamin D should come from. Uh, but I recommend about 5,000 units during the winter months and maybe 2,000 units during the summer months, unless you're allowing yourself plenty of sun exposure without sunscreen blocking that vitamin D. And then also vitamin K2. This is huge. You want the form called MK7, 
vitamin K2 from MK7. That will show up usually on the back of the bottle. And I recommend 240 to 360 micrograms a day, my favorite brand being Natural Factor. There are many other supplements that can help and have shown benefit, boron being chief among them. But those are the biggies. Calcium from hydroxyapatite or from algae, I think at about four or 500 milligrams a day is plenty. Vitamin D, like I say, somewhere between as much as you can get from the sun and 5,000 units a day, the only way to know for sure exactly how much you need, unfortunately, is a blood test. But I wouldn't discourage that and make sure you're up towards the higher end of that range, certainly above 50 and preferably above 75 on your uh, blood vitamin D levels. And then vitamin K2 at about 240 to 360 micrograms a day from the MK7 source. Now, there is one formula made by a company that I love. I'm holding a bottle in my hand right now, Life Seasons Therapeutics called Bone Density. That's D-N-S-I-T, Bone Density Osteo Support that covers many of this ba- these bases. It's a, it's a newer formula, and I'm already in love with it. I think it makes so much sense and makes it a lot easier and, frankly, saves you pills to take. It has 2,000 units of vitamin D, in your daily dose. It has half of the vitamin K you need. I wish it had double the vitamin K, but it doesn't. It has half, but that allows you to take one vitamin K pill instead of two. Uh, And it has a decent amount of boron. And then it also has 400 milligrams of the hydroxyapatite calcium. But it also has something in it really unique that I haven't talked about yet. It's an herbal called cow's bone. Cow's bone and not cow, C-O-W, but C-A-L-Z, like calcium, cow's bone, is actually an extract of something called Cissus quadrangularis, okay? That's an interesting herb, Ayurvedic herb from India. In one double-blind study that was randomized, placebo-controlled, these are the, the best kinds of study, in women 45 to 60 years old with low bone mineral density, identified by a DEXA scan, a bone scan, supplementation of an herbal combination containing cow's bone showed significant improvement in bone density parameters named bone ma- <clears throat> sorry, bone mineral density, T-score, and Z-score, while also showing a reduction in serum total ALP activity, which is most commonly used biochemical markers to assess bone turnover, formation, and resorption. In the active treatment group compared to placebo, During the six-month period of the study, bone mineral density was found to increase by 2.74% in the group that was using the cow's bone. That is a substantial improvement in just six months. Very impressive. Another study was done to evaluate efficacy and safety of cow's bone in perimenopausal, low bone mass density women, identified again by DEXA scan. At the dose of one capsule three times a day, which is 750 milligrams, which is exactly what's in a dose of the bone density formula because the bone density formula was built based on these studies in part. A significant improvement in bone density parameters, uh, again, bone mass density, uh, T-score and Z-score, with a 17% improvement in bone density was reported at the conclusion of the study, indicating a decreased risk of future fracture. And in one other open pilot study, an herbal combination containing 250 milligrams of cow's bone was administered three times a day to 10 patients with fractures. This I thought was really, really interesting. And yes, it's a very small study, but 10 patients with fractures of long bones of the leg and whose fracture had been fixed with an interlocking nail. The average fracture healing time for these patients, which is known to be 
to normally be 16 to 20 weeks was reduced to 12 to 14 weeks. So this stuff works. I mean, it makes a big difference. And what's really interesting in that study is they weren't also taking calcium, magnesium, vitamin K2, boron, any of those other things. It was just the cow's bone supplement. So as I said, four capsules of bone density gives you 2,000 units of vitamin D, 150 micrograms of K2, 400 milligrams of the right calcium hydroxyapatite, and 200 milligrams of magnesium. Now, it's not glycinate, it's citrate, but if you'll go back to my last episode, you'll notice that citrate, I don't bash on citrate too much. I think magnesium citrate is a pretty decent form of magnesium. Not bad. I wish they used glycinate in here. I'm going to be talking to them, but eh, they don't. But that's cool too, because now instead of using 400 milligrams of magnesium, you could use 200 milligrams from this supplement and only 200 milligrams from another source. You don't need more calcium than this, in my view. You can take one of the natural factors, K2, 150 mi or sorry, 120 micrograms instead of two, and you may not need extra vitamin D, depending on what your vitamin D needs are, Certainly not during the summer months, at least. You may add an extra 2,000 units during the winter months. So if you're looking at basic bone health that covers the bases quite well, that's an amazing combination. The bone density formula, along with a little extra magnesium, a little K2, and maybe some extra vitamin D, depending on your sun exposure. That's it. That's the osteoporosis show. I hope it was helpful. I tried to cover every question that's been asked in as much detail as I possibly could, but there's so much to this topic. If I missed anything, please let me know. You can hit me up on Facebook. You can hit me up on Instagram at Jared Saint, and you can certainly call Vitality Nutrition 801-292-6662. That's 801 801- 292-6662. And please find us at vitalitynutrition.com where we actually happen to have the bone density on sale right now. In fact, the bone density is on sale. The vitamin K2 is on sale. All of our vitamin D3 from Natural Factors is on sale, as is my Vital 5 magnesium. They're all on deal uh, for the next uh, somewhere between two weeks and a month, uh, depending on the item. So the timing is right as far as this episode's concerned. And actually, that's total coincidence on all of those. I just realized it. Um, but you can check it out on vitalitynutrition.com. You can also chat with us on vitalitynutrition.com. If you prefer not to make a phone call, uh, hit us up with a chat. Either my son, Bridger, who's very well-versed in these things, or myself will answer that chat message, at least in the same day. And oftentimes, right when you send it. Thank you so much for listening to me. I've got to go. I've run over. My name is Jared St. Clair, and this is Vitality Radio. You've been listening to the Vitality Radio podcast. Enjoy your week. In the meantime, Jared will be feverishly searching for the latest nutrition info to educate you on and wading into mounds of propaganda to help steer you through it. Vitality Radio is researched and written by Jared St. Clair. Our awesome music is by Brian Bob Young. Support Vitality Radio by subscribing and giving us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, YouTube, or your favorite podcast source. Don't forget to follow us at Vitality Radio on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Please let us know your thoughts about this episode by using the hashtag Vitality Radio Podcast. And if you like what you hear, go tell somebody with a share, a screenshot, or an airdrop. Thank you. Just a reminder that this podcast is for educational purposes only. The FDA has not evaluated this podcast.
This podcast is provided with the understanding that information shared is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. This podcast is not a substitute for care by a medical professional. Thank you.